Alright everyone, welcome back to episode 2 of season 2. Uh, today I'm going to jump into one of the movies that I saw yesterday. Um, unfortunately I was a little late seeing it, so um, I didn't really get my review out on Snap that you know people tell me they look forward to um, until after a couple of those people already saw it. But um, either way, um, I'll definitely get into it. So I'm going to um, kind of tell you first off where I rank it as far as uh, the Spider-Man movies that I've seen. Then I'm going to go into um, a non-spoiler, you know, kind of just rundown of what I thought, and then I'll have a little bit of a spoiler session. So uh, strap it on in and we'll start it up. Alright, so to start off, where, where does this movie rank for me? I would say it is tied with Spider-Man 2, the original Spider-Man 2, with Tobey Maguire. Um, there's only one little thing that I could pick out from this movie, and it was just that it wasn't... It was great timing as far as, like, you know, you didn't feel like the movie was too long or too short. I just feel like it could have went a little longer, and you still had that same feeling. Just because they didn't introduce some of the characters that... You know, some people might not know a lot about um, in that time frame where if they would have added an extra 20-25 minutes you would have got to understand some of these characters a little better and then have a little bit of an attachment to them the, the newcomers so um, I would say it just got a little bit messy and not even messy it was it was great but just a tiny bit messy to the point where you know you don't really get to feel the emotions of all the characters and kind of build that interest in them. Um, and that's just where I sit with that. I mean, Spider-Man 2 has always been my favorite movie, and the fact that this has tied it um, is just saying something about this, and it's only part one. So what to expect in this movie? Um, expect a lot of emotions. Expect a lot of confusion until you start to piece things together for yourself. Um, and great graphics and soundtracks. I mean, they did a phenomenal job at putting this movie together. And, I mean, Sony has screwed up how many Spider-Man movies because they try and do their own thing and make it too, um, you know, too controversial or too out there. And, you know, they did a fantastic job with this. So, um, next up, getting into spoilers. So, Here's your warning before I actually start giving away those spoilers and uh, my review and my thoughts of what the movie is. Alright, so here is your spoiler review. So basically, um, you know, you have Miles Morales who is the same person we've seen in the first one, but he's growing up. Um, but he, and as we identify later in the movie, he is the first anomaly to you know, basically screw up the multiverse because the spider that was supposed to bite him or was supposed to bite the Peter Parker from another universe bit Miles Morales. So it screwed everything up and started creating these variances coming through in the multiverse. So it kind of relates to Spider-Man No Way Home because you see the Vulture and Spider-Gwen fighting each other and that vulture is from another universe, a variant, kind of like um, the other, like Green Goblin and Doc Ock were in those movies. Um, you see a ton of different Spider-Men. You see um, 
the Spider-Man from the PS4 games, you have a flashback to the literal live-action Andrew Garfield um, when Captain Stacy died. You have the flashback to Tobey Maguire and Uncle Ben. Um, you have the reference to um, Doctor Strange messing up the spell in Tom Holland's universe. And you also have the Prowler, a.k.a. Aaron Davis from Homecoming, um, the guy who was trying to buy the guns and also got his hand webbed to uh, the trunk of the car. He is also in the movie, live action, in his Prowler suit. So um, there are a lot of different references here, and I'm sure I missed out on quite a few, but basically the whole gist of the movie is... Um, you know, Miles Morales, kind of like Tom Holland, thinking he can save all the villains, which he did, is, you know, fighting to make sure that these anomalies, or that these events that are supposed to happen in every Spider-Man's universe don't happen. So, like, Uncle Ben dying, or the police chief that's close to him dying. Like, he wants to make sure that his dad doesn't die. And, basically, from what I'm understanding, and they didn't really explain it in the movie because it's only part one. Um, he doesn't have to do that because his dad's not going to die in that event that he thinks it is because his uncle Aaron already died and that universe is screwed up because of his anomaly. Well, now you have the issue of um, Spider-Man 2099, who, by the way, is badass in this movie. He has decided that you know, he has to go after Miles Morales and stop this, but he doesn't realize that the true villain and the true person that is harming or is going to harm Miles Morales' dad is the Spot. So the Spot was made from the Collider in the first movie, and he can travel the multiverse, and he is, like, super incredibly strong. And basically he created, or he started um, sucking in the power from these Colliders, and in doing this, he is going to be able to wipe out, um, you know, different parts of Miles Morales and his universe that he doesn't want them to wipe out. So, we're kind of at the issue now where you have Spider-Man 2099 who thinks one thing is going to happen. And in reality, um, it's not. So now there's this whole big... Um, mix up in, you know, what, what people think is going to happen. So, um, you know, you get to the end of the movie and you see that, um, Miles Morales in the universe where there was no spider to bite Spider-Man turns into the Prowler and that universe is all screwed up. And now Miles Morales' universe is screwed up because he wasn't supposed to be the one, um, getting the spider bite. But now you continue to move on to um, where we kind of, you know, predict what's going to happen in the next movie. And I think people don't realize that maybe the anomaly didn't start with Miles Morales. Now, maybe it got bad because of the collider and the incident that happened in Into the Spider-Verse. But what if it was Gwen that actually had this incident? And the reason that I asked that question is because her dad in the movie decided to turn down the job for becoming the police chief, and since he did that, doesn't that mean that she would have been the one because she got the powers instead of um, Peter Parker? 
So I think there's a lot of questions that remain and a lot of things that, you know, need to be um, shored up before we can make any instant assumptions. But um, like I said, I really did love the movie. I think it's going to be cool to see, you know, where it goes and um, how the different things happen. And um, I'm just in disbelief that, you know, the live-action Spider-Man versions... You know, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire were either shown or referenced. So I think this is going to have something to do down the line with, you know, maybe having, you know, the cast of Into the Spider-Verse be cast in the MCU or maybe they'll have a crossover because, you know, the live action really didn't look bad with the animation. And, you know, that's something that they tried to do in the past with bad CGI and I think they might be able to do it now. So, like I said... This is one of my favorite movies of all time, and even if you don't like superhero movies, I think this is one that you should go see. Alright, so the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, the day and age that we live in. So, um, I go flea marketing pretty much every weekend and yard selling that I can. And there is so much money to be made in flea marketing and yard selling just because, you know, people have this nostalgia factor where there's hard-to-find items that, you know, people didn't want it one time and they just became pretty popular and like video games um this is a huge example and um you know dishes and lights and all these different things and um i think a lot of people should start to look into this because you know if you don't collect stuff which i collect stuff um that's one of my favorite things to do so i'll buy stuff i'll sell to make my money back or make a profit but then keep the cool stuff that i've gotten And I think, you know, people that, even if they don't collect, are able to sit here and say, hey, um, I can go out, spend a couple hours of my time to pick up some stuff, you know, dirt cheap that I know I'm going to be able to flip. Um, You know, that's just, that's passive income right there. And, you know, at least for me, it gets me up in the morning on a weekend and, you know, I get to hang out and, um, like I said, collect cool stuff. So I think that's something that... Um, you know, people who have the extra time should definitely explore. It's, you know, something that can help you get ahead of the game. I mean, for example, if you spend a hundred bucks and you buy a bunch of stuff that you want or you don't want, but you know, you can flip it and you can sell that stuff for 350 bucks. Well, there's 250 bucks that goes towards rent or fixing your vehicle or doing something along those lines. So, Um, that's just my encouragement because, you know, even for me, it brings me, you know, a lot of joy when I find something that I really want or I know I can make a good amount of money and, you know, that helps go towards, you know, life expenses and and things of that nature. So the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, at least my experience in, you know, going to college, getting out, getting a job and just kind of, you know, my perspective at this point because there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't get an honest perspective of what's going on or they don't have enough time to hear or discuss about, you know, what they faced. So for me, um, I was president of the pro sales club and I was a marketing student and that's really what I expected to do. I expected to create advertisements and track what was going on in, uh, the marketing world. Now I've, always been one that, you know, I like to talk, and, um, 
like I said, I like to do flea marketing, wheeling and dealing, and all that stuff. So, I joined this pro sales club because my buddy, and he's like, hey, you would do a good job at it, and maybe you should try it. I'm like, okay. So, after he left, I became the president and um, had a job offer on the table from this place in Philadelphia. She had a couple job offers, but this was the one that I was probably going to end up taking. Good company. You could grow in the company. They seemed really nice. Um, they took me down to Philadelphia. They bought a hotel room for me to stay in and took me out to this really fancy restaurant. I mean, I had a, a fantastic time. And the next day I went, I visited the place, and, um, you know, the culture was a little off. I mean, the people there were uh, a little bit older than I was, you know, expecting. I thought it was going to be a... And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean, you know, this wasn't a lively atmosphere that, you know, I wanted to be in or was expecting, but I was going to work around it. Um, the other thing that was holding me back was moving to Philly. So, in the meantime, I applied to Kinsey's because of my buddy Zach. Um, he told me at uh, one of our flag football games that he had started a little while, and, and I asked him about it and ended up applying and seeing what I could do. So... The first interview that I had with Kinsey's, which I'll tell you, I love it, and I do appreciate my buddy Zach for sticking his neck out for me, um, you know, and kind of throwing in some good word, because here's the thing, am I a good worker, and do I know I'm a good worker? Yeah, absolutely, but he didn't know that, because he's only seen one side of me at flag football, and that's not a side that you would sit there and say, yeah, he's a business professional that can get the job done, so... Um, it means the world to me that he did that. But moving into, you know, the first interview I had, um, I thought it went really well. But coming straight out of college, the job that I applied for, um, they actually were like, we would prefer you go with this other position because, well, they basically said, we're not giving you this position, but we'd like for you to apply to this one. So I ended up applying. And in the meantime, I had gotten my job offer from total plastics in Philly and I had to ask for an extension and there were um, there were a bunch of candidates that they had but they narrowed it down to 27 and from 27 they offered two people me and another person and it was like okay now I really need to decide what I want to do here and I was coming down to the end of the deadline I had just applied it um, or I had just done my interview with Kinsey's and um it was like a Monday and I had to tell Total Plastics by that Monday if I was going to do it or not so I'm stressing in the morning like I'm getting ready for school and I get a phone call from Total Plastics and I'm like oh here we go this is fantastic they called me and told me that the GM that they had me interviewing with and getting to meet they fired him and they said that they were looking to get rid of him for a while and it threw up some tremendous red flags for me. So what I ended up doing was, um, obviously I was biding my time because, you know, if I didn't get the job at Kinsey's, I was going to be like, all right, well, I have to take this job in Philly because I really can't afford to take off time in between college and working because, you know, that I'm not that type of person. So I told them I would meet with this guy on Zoom and talk to him whatever, and I pretty much already made up my mind that this was not going to be the, the option that I wanted to go with. Well, 
that night I was walking into a food bank and my boss, who's fucking awesome, gave me a call and said, hey, like, we'd like for you to work here. So I ended up taking the job and I feel bad about it, but not really. But I kind of played leverage a little bit for the Total Plastics job because I had to go to that competition and uh, the person who was there was grading me. So instead of declining it before I went to the competition and, you know, having her poorly judge me, I went to, uh, I just waited until the day after. But, you know, one of the big things was like, yeah, could I have moved up the ranks in this job really well and, you know, probably get paid a little bit more? Yeah, well, at least to start out. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to think about the culture aspect and how you're going to feel in this environment. So realistically, would I have been happy if I would have went to this job and this, and I'll give you the backstory here of the guy who then interviewed me, who's becoming the, the president of this location. He was like, yeah, well, your offer's still on the table before we even started having our talk. And, you know, we're excited to have you on board. And I just kind of stopped. And I'm like, you haven't even met me. How do you know that you still want me to work here? Like, because this is the other guy's offer he put on the table. So, you know, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in, well, there's only one or two headlining jobs. And, yeah, listen, there's some good ones. But, you know, you need to think about the culture aspect. And everything that kind of formulated together, I was probably going to end up taking the Kinsey's job either way. And I, I might have said no to Philly. I mean, it was one of those things where I would have just had to kind of, you know, give it, give it one, you know, what am I going to do? And just kind of decide real quick because, you know, it's really hard to sit there and decide between one or the other because you know that, you know, either way, you're probably going to be missing out on something even if, um you know, you decide against the other. So basically what I'm trying to say here is if you have the option to take your time, just make sure you're, you know, really sitting there and taking in what's going on. Because, you know, if I didn't sit there and have this, you know, incident where they fired the GM that they told me, oh, he's going to be here for the long run, I probably would have taken this job and I probably wouldn't have been happy. And, you know, people just need to explore their options. I mean, Kinsey's is a a small place in Mount Joy, but they're getting bigger. They have a good culture. Like, everyone there is fantastic. And I just think at this point, like, you know, people get so wrapped up in, oh, well, you know, I can make $80,000 a year here, and this is going to be fantastic. But then they get there, and they realize the work sucks, and, you know, it's not what they expected. But if you go to a company that actually cares about you and has good people that are, you know, surrounding you, then you're going to have the time of your life and you're, yeah, you're going to make a little bit less, but there's always that opportunity for growth. So I kind of just want to give people the, the rundown of what I had to deal with because I don't think people realize that how stressful it got there for a while. And it does get stressful, but when you sit there and you take all the time in the world to assess what's going on. Like, here's the thing. If I would have asked for that extension and they would have said no, would I have taken that job? Probably not because I was crystal clear with them that I wanted two options on the table to decide between. And I think that's what people need to realize is, you know, these companies need you. And if they're throwing you a job offer 
And unless it's like, hey, you're supposed to be starting next week and that's kind of why we need to know, you know, these companies should have a little more leniency on, you know, respecting your decision because they, you know, they always say that it costs more to get a new employee than to retain an old one. So I guess the whole issue is if you're sitting here and you're unsure and un- and might be unhappy with the decision you made, why would the company that's hiring you want that? And I just think that's where we kind of stand on things in society because, you know, we let these, these companies push us around because everyone thinks it's a time crunch. And it's like, if everyone took a little bit of time and due diligence on what they think is best for them, it might work out better in the long run. So I kind of just wanted to give that insight. Obviously, I'm no master of you know, making decisions, but I do think in this one, I made the right decision because, you know, where I work and, you know, how I think and how I talk and what I do is, you know, pretty well accepted and, you know, have some good buddies there now. So I would uh, encourage everyone to, you know, put that into consideration when they're going out. All right. So I want to get into firearms a little bit and talk about those. Um, So first off, that's actually what my line of work is. And I'm a dealer sales rep at Kinsey. So basically, um, I sell guns. I sell accessories to guns, archery equipment. Um, you know, and I I hope I'm making good progress and, you know, doing well. You, you never really know until you kind of, you know, they tell you, hey, you're doing a good job or you're not. So, um, but besides that, um, you know, the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, firearms in general. Um, the first thing I'd say is I see a ton of people come into gun shops and, you know, buy different guns and, you know, have interest. And that's great. Um, you know, I think everyone should have guns. But I think that, not everyone, obviously, (laughs) but people who are equipped enough to have guns. Now, you're not always going to tell who's going to be a straight shooter and, you know, someone who can handle one correctly, but, um... You know, one of the things that I would propose if I was, you know, someone who was in charge of making rules and legislations and you know, different procedures would be that instead of just in Pennsylvania, you can just go out and buy a gun as long as you pass a background check that's basically saying, you know, you're not mentally unstable or a felon or anything along those lines. And as much as I'm pro, um, pro guns and freedom, I also think that there needs to be a fine line between you know, what people are able to do without, you know, the proper, uh, the proper instructions. So for example, I have people come into the shop all the time and, um, they're like, Oh, I want to buy a gun. Uh, for some guy on Saturday came in and didn't know how to operate his pistol that he bought. And I'm just like, dude, if you don't know how to operate a gun, why did you buy it? Um, or if you did buy it, why are you coming in and, you know, essentially asking for a full in-depth lesson when, you know, people are at the firearms counter and we have stuff to do. And that's the issue is, you know, people are like that. They just think they know how to operate a gun and they could severely hurt themselves and others. And, you know, I really think that there needs to be a standard that's set and that would be, you know, proper testing, proper certifications to make sure that, um, you know, people are able to have guns, you know, uh, an hour lesson 
and then a test at the end to show that you're, um, you know, you're, what, what would you call it, qualified enough to have one, just because, you know, you don't want people out there that don't know how to simply operate the most simple operations of that weapon, and they're out there carrying them. So, um, I really think there needs to be a change in, you know, getting guns as a whole. I get it that, you know, it's everyone's constitutional right, or whatever the hell they call it, to have a gun. And, okay, that's perfectly fine, but that is if you have the skills to handle one, because, um, you know, people aren't always the safest, and, you know, you have these incidents at ranges, and people shooting themselves, and, um, you know, it's kind of like a car. I, I think it's the same thing. Like, people need to go through repetitive testing, because, yeah, there are people that understand how to drive and do it very well, but there's also people out there that, you know, don't understand, they weren't taught, they kind of just floated through the permit testing, or waited until they were, you know, 18 or 19, and they didn't even have to go through the the permit process and I think you're seeing a reflection of that all over the United States with how people are driving and you know incidents that are happening with with weapons and you know people who are having the opportunity to have them I mean um, it's one of those things where um, it's a scary thought that there's people out there that you know don't know how to operate some of the most dangerous machines whether it's a car or a gun or machinery at works because at work um that could hurt a lot of people so i just want everyone to know where i stand on that because you know i'm not sitting here saying oh you know gun laws gun restrictions everything needs to be taken away absolutely not um you will probably never catch me um you know walking somewhere without my pistol on my hip why because everyone says oh it's never going to happen to me where someone has you at gunpoint or someone's, you know, trying to do a mass shooting or, you know, whatever the instance may be. And my whole thought process is if anything goes down, I am going to be the one walking away. And that's just how I want to live. So, and I think people need to have that mindset just because of how crazy the world has gotten. I mean, I, I just, at the end of the day, you know, people that are anti-gun... Um, I can understand why you're anti-gun, because there's, you know, killings and different things that go on. Um, the argument's not that strong, in my opinion. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, these people that are arguing for it, do they not understand the simple fact that there are just some people out there that are crazy? And no matter what, like, you're never going to be able to tell. But there's my little rant on that. Um... I did kind of want to talk about a pistol brand that when I started at 911, I wasn't really familiar with, and anyone that's trying to, you know, get a pistol and, you know, get the best value for, for what you're going to do for concealed carry or just for shooting, um, it's Canic. So Canic was made by Century Arms, and they have a very, very good and highly, I wouldn't say highly sought after but they do sell out pretty quick of, of what guns they have. So, um, and I'll just take the best ones from each tier. So, um, you have the concealed carry. There's a, there's two or three different types of them, but the one that I carry and the one that you know I think is the best overall value for a concealed carry for what you're getting is the Canic Meta MC9. 
So you are getting a enhanced version or a better, well-made version of the TP9 Elite, and for 400 bucks, which is cheaper than almost anything else you're going to get, that's a quality name, that's a quality gun, you are getting a holster, you're getting a cleaning kit, you're getting extra mags, extra plates, like there's so many different things you're getting with that, and it is a easy gun to function, and is a good gun to shoot. Um, and they're really hard to find right now, but if you do find one, and it's something that you feel is right for you and fits in your hands, which I would recommend the extended uh, mags. Um, I ended up buying an extra one just so I have it because I don't like the feel of my pinky slipping off the, uh, the end of the grips. That is just a fantastic gun to go with. I mean, for 400 bucks, there are Tauruses that you know are worse made, and you know some of these other different companies that I wouldn't go with, like uh, you know, like maybe a Gerson or you know something like that. And this is what I try to tell people and. Um, you know, I'm not calling anybody out here, but, you know, some of these people carry Tauruses or, um, you know, Ruger or even High Point, and it's like, listen, at the end of the day, I understand the gun shoots well and it's fine, but I would much rather have the gun that I spent, you know, one to two hundred dollars more on that I know is better made and has a better reputation, but, you know... Not everyone thinks that way, and, you know, it's unfortunate. And it's not unfortunate. I mean, they can do what they want, but, um, you know, I kind of live by the you get what you pay for type of deal, and um, I think that really applies when you're looking at guns. Now, obviously, the Canik here is, you know, quite a bit cheaper than you know, some of these other really highly um, reviewed concealed carries, but... Um, you know, that's just one of those where you have a gun that's so good and it's, you know, a great price and that rarely comes along that, you know, people are, um, you know, pricing things like that to help out the consumer. Uh, next up is their uh, SFX Rival. So, um, I believe it was last year's um, shooting competition for some of the best pistol shooters in the world. Um, the SFX Rival, which is competition ready out of the box, um, and I would say these Canics have the best triggers out of the box um, because I feel all the other ones and I'm like, wow, there's nothing as good as this. Um, it actually won that competition and um, it's a very good gun. It's too big to carry, but it is fun to go out and shoot precision with and, and have a good time. Um, next up we have their step up from that, which is more of a... Um, a I wouldn't say rugged, but I would say a more um, accessory-filled gun that has, like, a little more bells and whistles, which is their Combat Elite. Um, their Combat Elite pistol is really, really cool. Um, it has a great trigger on it. Um, you know, it has a couple little extras, like, um, down at the end of the grip that kind of just helps you out a little bit. Um, it's only about $70 more than what the SFX Rival is. Um, the SFX Rival is about $629, and if you want to get the Combat Elite, it's about $699. Um, but it just depends on what you're going to be doing with it. Um, I would say that I believe the Combat Elite has a threaded barrel for a suppressor, and it's also a little bit shorter, so you could carry that. Um, and that would probably be the biggest carry gun that you would want to go with. And finally, we have the Canic SFX, or the Canic Rival S. So basically what that is, is 
it is the same gun, from what I understand, as the SFX Rival, except it is an all-steel gun. It goes for about $1,000, and I got to hold this gun before. And for a metal-framed gun, it is cheaper than anyone you're going to find. The trigger is fantastic, and it is, it is a little bit heavy, but it makes it so balanced that when you shoot, there's probably barely any recoil, and it feels great. Um, I'm definitely going to end up picking one of these up, but I just think it's uh, you know worthy to note that you know if you're going to go and you're going to get the best gun, not I wouldn't say the best gun on the market, but you know kind of in that price point and for what it is compared to some of the other options. I would say that this is the one I'm going to go with. So, I just wanted to bring that up because there's a lot of people that, you know, they go in, you know the Smith & Wesson, you know the Glock, you know the Beretta, you know um, maybe Sig and, and some of these other brands, but, you know, Canik hasn't really gained all that steam yet, and once it does, people are going to really realize that, you know, it's the best value and, you know, in my opinion, the best gun out of the box. Alright, so finally I'm going to end up with a couple food reviews here. So, um, a new entry into the chicken sandwich market. Um, I actually, it's from Arby's. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like Arby's, but I, I really do. But this chicken sandwich that they came out with is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it has a very good bun, not as good as Popeye's, and that's why it's going to be my new number two Um chicken sandwich has you know great breaded chicken um you know they put a good amount of mayonnaise on it and you know it it tastes very good it's not like one of those where you're biting into it and you're like yeah i can tell this isn't good quality chicken or well made um it's on the two for seven menu so you can get two of either or you can mix and match um two of either the choices of mozzarella sticks, roast beef sandwich, um, chicken sandwich, and there's some other type of sandwich. So I would definitely encourage everyone to try this if you're big on to the popcorn chicken um, scene just because it's a, uh, a pretty good one compared to some of the other ones that I've tasted. And I don't like to run on name, you know, like Chick-fil-A. If Chick-fil-A was the best, I would rank it number one. Um, it's not, you know, McDonald's chicken sandwich. If it was the best, I would rank it number one. If it was the second best, I would rank it number two. So, you know, I have no brand loyalty when I'm reviewing these products. Finally, um, Lit's Pizza Company. So the other day I got um, their, actually, I'm sorry, not the Lit's Pizza Company. It was this place called The Pantry or something like that. And it was in Millersville literally right next to their football stadium and I got the chicken bacon ranch stromboli and it was phenomenal it was you know it wasn't just hey like you know let's quickly throw this together and make it it was actually super well made you could tell that there was a lot of time put into you know perfecting it making the right amount of bacon ranch cheese um, chicken just to kind of make it flow and taste the best that it could possibly be. Um, I would definitely recommend this pantry place, whatever it's called, um, right by Millersville. It is um, the best stromboli that I've had to date. And I believe I had a slice of pizza as well.
Yeah, I did. I got their barbecue bacon ranch pizza, and it was actually really, really good as well. Um, now, I shouldn't have got all of that because it was a little bit too much for me to eat, but um, being able to take some of that stuff home and eat it, it was just phenomenal. So that's going to do it for episode two here. I'm going to continue to um, record these as I'm on my way to school, or uh, not school, <laughs> I'm done with school, on my way to work and on my way back and um, just when I have time to kind of think and talk. But um, you know, a lot of the times it's funny because I actually don't end up, um, like I probably delete five, six, seven recordings that I have that are, you know, 10 minutes a piece because, you know, drivers, you know, driving like idiots, almost get an accident, like people just doing dumb stuff. And then I kind of get unconcentrated and, you know, I'm trying to give the best podcast that I can here. So people are, aren't like, oh man, this guy's, um, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about or, you know, his speaking spell, sp- <laughs> man, that's course as I try to make this point his speaking skills aren't that great so um, but I hope everyone enjoys it and I'll definitely get a third one out here shortly